You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. The uranium bulls of the world will not will not tell you this, and I'll tell you I'll tell you this right up front. Trust me, man. There's no shortage of uranium in the world. You could get a good run here, and I'm selling into that run. That I get. I can tell you that for sure. I'll be selling into it because long term, I'm a believer that there's uh, plenty of uranium out there, and uh, probably at about let's say 75 bucks, you could make, uh, you could get a lot of pr- lot of production at 75 bucks. There's supply in time that's going to be hitting this market. So uh, this, uh, if we do get a, a little bit carried away here with a speculative frenzy, not unlike the cobalt market, not unlike. Some of the others to take uh, take my lead and just be right behind me and selling into this thing and uh, we'll make a bit of money. And um, if it doesn't happen, I think I'll still make some money with NextGen uh, on a more conservative fashion as you just gradually move towards production. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education again. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and joining me is a returning guest, Warren Irwin of Rossau Asset Management. Uh, Warren's been featured on the show, going back to my initial interview with him about his experience with the Briex scandal in the late 1990s. That was about five years ago. And that was one of my first viral posts uh, on this podcast, uh, Warren, that was very educational that people loved. But you're also into investing in uranium. And in fact, when I bought my first uranium stock in 2016, one of the catalysts was listening to you on uh, two different shows. I believe it was Palisade Radio as well as CEO.ca. And you were talking about a little 60 cent stock called NextGen, which has in the last year hit $8. I think it's at $6 Canadian today. But um, I asked you to come on so you could share with us your updated views on uranium as well as NextGen and what you see going on in the uranium market. So uh, thank you for joining me again, Warren. Well, it's always great to be on your show, Bill. And uh, thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, the interesting uh, thing going on these days, there certainly is a, a big a big push by a lot of marketers to get the um, get the uh, uranium narrative out there and start pumping uranium. So um, I've been through this before a few times. I, I made a ton of money um, last uranium cycle on and most of my money was made with extract uranium. It was a Namibian um, situation we sold to the Chinese um, and the Chinese and of. I think the Chinese are still struggling with it, but I believe their their costs are somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy dollars a pound. But they're still producing it because they need the uranium. But um, so we sold sold that to the Chinese back then, and then about seven years ago, I was made aware of a situation in um, northern Saskatchewan called NextGen. So I jumped on a plane and I went to uh, went to visit. I was one of the first people on site, and I acquired over a over a ten percent position in it. And I was the largest shareholder for a while until they started getting so big that, you know, I just can't have next gen 100% of my fund. So I had to gradually sell down over time. And it's been a raging success with a multiple billion dollar market cap now. And um, so why does, you know, why do your listeners want to listen to me? Possibly because uh, they can learn from my mistakes. And, uh, but on on a positive note, I, I think I probably made more money in, well, I, I could say for sure that I've made more money in uranium the last six years than anybody I know, uh, because I think we made just under a hundred million on on next gen and counting. So that's a pretty big number, and I don't know of anybody else who's made that kind of dough. Uh, maybe some some guy who owns some piece of a of a junior, but even you know a hundred millions, it's a good chunk of dough in the uranium space to make. So, anyways, 
I made a bunch of money in it and I've learned a lot of lessons over the last seven years uh, since I've been involved in it. I'd love to to share some of those lessons so that your your uh, your listeners are perhaps in this coming next uranium cycle a little bit sharper and they can learn from my mistakes and make even more money and better yet, if they make it, possibly keep more of it when the market inevitably collapses. On that note, Warren, could you talk about whether you see a, a repeat of the parabolic rise? So for example, there's a, a lot of expectation on um, uranium Twitter that I've seen that we're going to see a spike to at least $200 a pound and a sustained price above $150 per pound. Uh, do you agree with that? Well, you know, it all depends. Or maybe that that question is best answered, I think, in me just giving you a, a sense of um, how I see the market, because it, it's not an it's not an easy answer to that one. And I've learned a lot, like I said, over the last seven years uh, in this latest uranium market, not to mention the previous uranium market, which was, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. So I've been following uranium a fair amount. Um this this uh, I'm a huge uranium fan, and I think what's happened here is, over time, uh, the whole basis of this whole new uranium talk is is a result of people have finally figured out where a number of where you know I kind of figured out years and years ago that you know we can't power the world on wind and solar. It's impossible. You can't tell your workers at the BMW factory in Germany, well, take the day off today because there's no wind, and uh, the sunlight's not enough to power our plant. So. Uh, Oh yeah, or or if it's oh it's a rainy day, there's no sun and there's no wind, so we can't go to work today. Like that's just not going to happen. And you know we've dammed up all the rivers, uh, which is obviously a, a good source of uh, non CO two generating baseload power. But uranium is the only way. Uranium and hence nuclear power is the only way to go. And I have some friends who work in the uranium industry, um, uh, specializing in the SMR small modular reactors. And frankly, the things they're telling me, if they're to be believed, are pretty amazing where they've got like new react. See, see the, the economics of a, a nuclear reactor is that uh, it's mainly the, the cost of producing power is mainly than the capital cost. Whereas uh, this is the, the, the bull case for uranium. The people are saying, well, uranium costs are uh, about 5% of the, the op costs of, a uranium, of, a, of producing electricity. So the big utilities who are running these nuclear power plants are price inelastic with respect to whether it's uh, you know, $75 a pound or $150 a pound. It really doesn't matter. The key there is their capital costs. So with these SMRs, what they're doing is they're reducing the capital cost um, of, uh, of nuclear reactors by standardizing. And reactors around the world, they're just frankly not standardized. So if you could standardize and reduce the capital so when, you know, when you need a when you build a part, you're building the part for 100 reactors, not just a, a custom part for one reactor. So that's the essence of it. And if you compare it to, let's say, a natural natural gas power generating facility, like like just under 100 percent of the cost of the electricity is is the input cost, whether it be the gas. In the case of coal, the same story, right? So it's a very unique economics in in the nuclear the space. And I remember meeting with. Um, uh, I ran into uh, uh, who's that character? Uh, the guy who developed the internet. Um, uh, oh, the <laughs> former oh. former vice president, Al Gore. Yeah. Al Gore. Yeah, I ran into Al Gore at a TED conference in Vancouver, and the guy. I, I look at him as a bit of a lunatic, but I, I, I. He just finished a big speech about renewables, and first of all, I hate the name renewables because I think it's the stupidest name in the world. 
because uh, nothing's really that renewable. It's more like re- <laughs> replaceables, though, with how often you have to replace them, though, right? Yeah, they're replaceable, not renewable. So I, I remember having a, co- a short conversation. I caught him after one of his speeches and said, so Al, what, where does uh, nuclear fit into this whole this whole green energy and this whole the global warming thing? And he looked as if I looked at me as if I had three heads, right? Like, And even today, when the lunatics over at Greenpeace are still anti-nuclear, right? So um, I have some theories as to why they're anti-nuclear. They were doing anti-nuclear since the 70s, and they really haven't smartened up at all. And learn that um, you know that uh, there are better ways to generate power. And and thank you, Greenpeace, for fifty years of burning coal instead of having nuclear power because they were an instrumental in shutting down the the biggest nuclear power build out in the seventies in certainly in the U.S. Right, and when Three Mile Island uh, happened, that sort of killed the the nuclear power build out in the U.S. Uh, for at least half a century. So we've been burning coal since then. So here we are today. We're looking at, we, we basically need, you know, reliable base load. It's been proven around the world, whether it be in uh, most recently in Germany. And uh, uh, I'd advise all your listeners to stay away from Germany this winter. It might be a little chilly there. <laughs> and hopefully too many Germans don't freeze this winter, but they're all learning the lessons of um learning the lessons of relying on, you know, wind. And I think they spent a trillion dollars on, on solar. So there it's proven that, you know, the politicians haven't gotten it right. And it's not, it's not a political, it's, you need to use common sense here. And, and in England too, last fall, you may recall, they ran, they didn't have any wind. So there's electrical shortages. And, you know, you remember the Texans was it last winter, the winter before they, they had a bit of a cold spell when everyone, all their fantasy, uh, Wind and solar didn't didn't work for them. So there's stories that they're starting to pile up pretty hard. And when you this coming winter, sadly, I, I do believe there will be a significant chance that there are some people dying in Germany as a result of the cold. And because uh, these are the clowns that shut half their reactors and, I, and wanted to shut them all um, and somehow wanted to trust uh, an unsustainable source like um, Russian natural gas and and. Uh, solar and wind and you know germany is not a particularly sunny place so it's pretty nutty what's been going on and these politicians uh jump on the bandwagon and um and there's a completely ignorant populace out there that are all concerned about saving the planet so uh, a lot of stupid things are happening and have happened and continue to happen but you know nuclear i think people have finally figured it out it's the only way to generate non-CO2 baseload. So that's the basis there. I figured this out, you know, many, many years ago, just doing the mathematics behind how much energy the world will need. We need, we need fission and possibly in the future, we'll need fusion, you know, fusion with the thorium reactors and stuff like that, but that's in the future. Today, um, the, the leading edge seems to be small modular reactors and there, a number of them are fail safe and that they're already, they're, they're molten salt reactors where they're already have a, a liquefied uh, fuel so you can't really have a meltdown so and that could put a cap on the uranium price is that where you're leading to with the implementation of these small modular reactors a cap an upwards cap you mean an upwards cap if the uranium price becomes more elastic versus how it's inelastic right now yeah um i i don't i don't think so i think uh the other thesis here the the uranium bulls of the world will not will not tell you this and i'll tell you i'll tell you this right up front trust me man there's no shortage of uranium in the world 
I know of one country. I tried to go in and do a uranium deal with them. It didn't work out because I was asked for too many bribes. But trust me, they have they have hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds of uranium. They just that are kind of there. And uh, you you know you take a look at a country like uh, Brazil. I was looking uh, at some uranium stuff there, but you know you're not allowed to to mine it as individual co- company. So um, there's lots of uranium in Brazil. There's uranium in Africa. There's uranium everywhere. And uh, there's uranium in seawater. So there's lots and lots of uranium. These people who are running around panicking right now, saying there's a massive shortfall, are kind of overreacting. Um, the biggest case they use is is there's about, just to get some of the mathematical metrics out of the way, there's about 450 um, operating nuclear reactors right now. It, sorry, let's say 440 to 450 kind of range. Okay, so that's the basis there. So when people say, well, you know, they've just reopened another another nuclear power plant in, you know, wherever, okay? And well, that you just go, okay, that's one over 450, okay? So that'll be one 450th impact. Well, that's, okay, that, that doesn't have any impact on demand. And on the demand side too, even if we had a massive nuclear renaissance today, um, Frankly, it just takes a while for nuclear power plants to be uh, to be designed, built, permitted. No, sorry, designed, permitted, and built. Uh, China is cranking them out pretty quickly. Um, I believe there's about 50 under construction there, so that could have a meaningful impact over quite a number of years. But that's a 10% increase. But if you split it over, you know, you know, maybe 10 years or five years or whatever the number is, you just take you know 10% divided by five years, roughly, and you get a 2% increase in demand. And um, the big bull case a lot of people are putting out in front of everyone right now is there's 180 million pounds consumed every year, roughly. Okay, don't uh, don't hold me to that number. And there's roughly about 135, 130, somewhere in there um, produced. So there's about a 40 to 50 million million pound a year shortfall. And all the bulls are saying, well, everybody's finally realizing there's a uranium renaissance. There's a 50 million or 40 to 50 million pound shortfall. It's amazing. We gotta we gotta jump on it. And um, that's sort of the the narrative I bought five or six years ago when I when I did that Palisade uh, piece about um, about uranium because it made a ton of sense to me. You're looking at massive um, shortfalls in uranium, uh, and uh, the only concern there, of course, is that I had a friend of mine who was in the uranium business. He said, Warren, there's no shortage of uranium out there. There's, I know where there's a billion pounds. There's a billion pounds of uranium floating around, and there's no shortage of it. These guys saying there's a big shortfall are very mistaken. The secondary supply is there, and it'll be there for a very long time. So taking a look back at my friend who told me this probably six or seven years ago, seven years at a, let's say a 50 million pound a year shortfall, he was exactly right. Uh, The world found 350 million pounds of uranium to make up that shortfall. And it was made up, right? And today it's being made up today. And uh, the new purveyors of uh, promotion in the um, uranium space, the biggest promoter right now, is um, you know the Sprout Uranium Trust, right? They're trying to. They're, they've I think they've acquired in the spot market um, almost just under sixty million pounds, and I think Yellow Cake is a little bit smaller. Were they around twenty million pounds? I forget the exact number, 
So if you take those two together, not only in the last seven years has been roughly 350 million pounds supplied to the market from existing stockpiles of uranium. Then you had Sprott and Yellowcake step up and buy another 80 million pounds. So that's like 420, 430 million pounds of uranium just appeared out of nowhere and satisfied all the demand and nobody freaked out and nobody got short. Nobody was short the price of uranium. Sorry, nobody was short on uranium. So that's an important thing. And, and, and it was a pretty wise old guy who told me that thing. He said, Warren, don't get too excited about uranium. There's lots of uranium out there. They'll make up the shortfall, no problem whatsoever. Okay, so meanwhile, what's happened is uh, over the past number of years, uh, when I owned, ne- uh, when I, well, I was an owner of NextGen, and I still am an owner of NextGen, but just not as much as I used to own, um, this, the price of uranium dropped to a low of around 17, 18 bucks, right? You, you recall that. And here we are today. We're just under 50 at four, around $48. So in any other market um, I've been involved in, if the price of, your, of, of the underlying commodity almost triples, you're going to get such a massive run in the underlying uh, equities that you, you just, you, it would be amazing. But here we are. That's this is reality. You know, uranium went from 18 bucks to just under 50, which is almost a triple or, you know, two and a half times. And I'll tr- trust me, I haven't seen the, the type of rally in the underlying companies that you would normally see. Like if somebody told you, Bill, that um, oh, we're going to run gold from, you know, 1700 to, to 5,500, do you think that would move? Some some of the gold juniors a little bit. I would think it would, and it would move them like like the, in the factor of ten. And you'd see massive, massive. But Warren, movement. hasn't some of them moved? I'm trying to look here. I remember owning energy fuels at like a dollar fifty, and uh, today isn't it a multi dollar share price? As an example, yeah. Or, well, where, or, where is it? Or even well, next we, next gen from sixty cents to eight dollars, right? And part well, of that was the discovery too, though. Part right? of it, yeah. Part of it, all of it was, <laughs> all of it was. Like, um, but if, but wasn't Bill, it like two fifty when before uranium really took off? I'm trying to remember here. Oh, it's tough. It's tough to to say anything specifically related to your uh, next gen because it kind of rallied from, you know, sixty cents to four bucks, then back down to two bucks, and back up to you know it was I've been up and down and mm-hmm. and. Uh, the, the big buying opportunity was in uh, early 2020 when they had the big COVID meltdown and you could have picked it up for 80 cents. And then nine months later, it's trading at eight bucks, right? Mm-hmm. You got a 10, you're just in that move. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get across bill uh, on this point is that if I had a junior trading, a junior gold company trading at a buck and gold tripled in value, I'm pretty sure that would be junior would be trading at 10 bucks. If you get, get my drift. Right. And so everything should have gone up 10 bucks. And if let's say even the case of next gen, if next gen was trading, let's two fifty or three bucks around that time. Well, it should, it should be at 30 bucks today. If you get my drift, just roughly. So you're saying the equities are not telegraphing $200 well, per pound uranium. Would that be another way of kind of phrasing what you're describing? No, the best way to describe it is the price of uranium tripled off the bottom, let's say, and and, and st- stocks really, you know, they they have not done what I would have thought they would have done if that was the case. If if the, if any other comp, if for instance, if copper tripled from three fifty to over ten bucks a pound, you'd see a much bigger run in the equities. Um, 
So that's another observation. You could check all the numbers out and yourself and, and just see how how little the uh, the uranium equities have moved with an almost a triple in the price of uranium. Okay, so here we are today. That's just a little bit of background. So where we are today is we have the guys at Sprott uh, Uranium Trust. Uh, they are, you know, promoting the hell out of uranium. Saying we've cleaned up the spot market. We're, you know... We're ready to go. This market's getting tighter every day. Finally, nuclear energy is considered a uh, considered an, a, a realistic alternative, not like the not like it was perhaps uh, you know five or ten years ago. And I would agree with them on that. Um, so we have a lot of people who are very much incentivized to create the bull case for uranium. And uh, the only problem, of course, on the demand side you need to get um, uh, some pretty big numbers of reactors to get any significant increase in demand for, for uranium. So um, the, there you have it. So on, like, it's not as if you could triple the number of reactors over the next 10 years. That's not going to happen. So we're going to get, regardless of what happens to the price of uranium, we're going to be ticking higher every year on the demand front for uranium, right? That's really good. So, and then at some point in the future here, uh, and the other the other bull case too for uranium people are talking about is um, how they're starting to overfeed now, right? Because there's the the enrichment uh, side of things is a little bit uh, capacity constrained, so they're putting in more UF6 to get the enriched uranium, and uh, that's going to lead to you know I've heard some people say 10 million pounds plus uh, in terms of excess demand for uranium. So you've got uranium demand ticking away you've got people claiming uh with respect to the enrichment we'll need a little bit more because we're we're overfeeding uh, uh in the enrichment cycle so okay those are all all well and good and um and sprott's telling people well you know we've cleaned up the spot market there's no more supply and uh we're, we're in, and eventually this 50 million pounds a year uh deficit is going to going to bite us so that's really the key right now, the, the biggest risk with uranium is, for, for an investor is what will happen here is uh, the uranium market is a reasonably small market overall. And, you know, you've heard it like 30 to $40 billion market cap for all the uranium companies out there. So what you could have happen here, and I think this may have happened the last big cycle when you had the big spike, was um, uh, a big player with lots and lots of money. Let's say I was running a big hedge fund, a twenty billion dollar hedge fund in the U.S., and I said, "Yeah, I'm going to take a two billion dollar punt on um, on uranium." And if you get enough guys doing that, you're going to have a lot of money jumping into the cycle, and that's the biggest thing which would really drive this cycle. Because what they'll do is, they, if they're playing it smart, what they'll do is they'll step into the market and they'll start picking up all the equities first. And you you look at it as an investor. If you're looking for, well, when is this market really going to move? My my sense is the first sense you're going to get is you're going to say, gee, this is weird. Chemical is up 10% today and the price of uranium hasn't moved. And then next gen's up 10%. And like those are probably the two benchmarks in the Western world. And of course, Kazataprom is one to watch too. So between those three, you'll start, you'll start noticing the equities creep up as the, the hedge funds move into uh move into the equities, and then they'll try and ramp. Once they got their they have their equity positions, they'll throw a few billion dollars at Sprott Uranium Trust, and we'll see those guys go into the market, clean up the spot market, maybe run the spot market to 
75, 80 bucks, who knows? And then the, these equities, ideally for, for them, they'll hope they'll they'll appreciate in value. And people won't say, well, we we figured this game out. You guys are just manipulating the short-term price of uranium. It's not going to impact the long-term price of uh of um uh of uranium. So we're not going to play this game. But that's that's really what I think what's trying to happen right now. There's enough people on enough podcasts. That are out there pumping the uranium story, uranium, 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 go, 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 go. And if if they're able to to excite enough people with enough money, they could come into this market and really clean up the really, really clean up the, the spot price and really jam the spot price. And as you know, then as soon as you jam the spot price from 50 to 75, then you'll have a whole bunch of me too players jumping in, thinking that they've got a, a bit of a run on your hands, and they'll they'll run it. And uh then you'll have a uranium market. How long it lasts, who knows? And um, but that's just that's just one scenario. That's a scenario I think a lot of people are hoping for because a lot of the pundits out there that are are speaking about uranium, they're loaded up with a lot of these junky little uranium companies, and when and they want somebody somebody to sell them to at a much higher price. And um, you just have to be careful you're not the person buying those junk uranium companies at a higher price just before. You know the big hedge funds out of the U.S. stopped buying spot uranium, or or they decided to start unloading their their Cameco next gen and Kesatoprom positions on you. So that's the thing I, I would be a little careful about. Now uh, I still own some uh, uranium um, exposure, and the way I like to play it is a little bit more conservative than that. I own next gen, which is I think a pretty conservative way to play it because. Uh, they're putting an extraordinary mine into production, the best uranium property in the world. It'll be the benchmark, uh, I think, that everybody matches themselves off against. So my my view is, if the price of uranium uh, goes up, great. Price of uranium stays the same, that's fine. I'll still make money. If it goes down a little bit, I'll still make a bunch of money because they're going through the process of permitting and building this mine. And once it gets into production, there will be a massive bump in valuation. So... I'm going to make money, I think, regardless of whether this inevitable uranium boom happens or not. And if it does happen, NextGen will be a go-to name, and you can make a lot of money in NextGen. Then I have a couple uh, crappy names in the uranium space, a little bit more speculative. Uh, the stuff they own may not be economic at the present time, but in a good go-go uranium market, these are the ones that will really, really fly. So... I've got those on my books and for a little bit of fun, a little bit of octane. And if if it does happen, uh, the big prognostications of a big run in the uranium uh, price as, as more money floods into the market, I'm going to be selling them into the market and um, and saying thank you very much. And I'm on to, so, on to something else. So um, that's sort of my, my assessment of kind of where we're at right now. They're trying to, people are trying to move this uranium market. They're trying to, I'm not saying corner it, but you it can be cornered more so than any other. This is not copper, right? This is a very small commodity. And if you get enough billions of dollars thrown into the spot, Sprout Uranium Trust, or if people just decide to buy the uranium on their own because they're big enough, um, you could really get some big moves in this and you get a lot of excitement and hype. But the underlying situation really is you can't build reactors super fast. So on the demand side, there'll be there'll be constant growth, which is great. There's And over time, with a high price of uranium, more and more people will get out there looking. Mines, which right now are not economic, will all of a sudden be economic, and they'll gradually get into production. So that's a self-solving um, situation over time. 
but um, or and I have so many thoughts going through my head. I can hear your objectors objections as you're talking. Oh. And I know this interview will be a, a downer for some listeners because you had that famous quote from the Palisade interview about expecting a rip your face off uranium yeah. rally. Yeah. So this is obviously a different tone. But um, with one of the, uh, I guess, objections I can hear is, well, Warren just shared that he sold $100 million or he made $100 million profit. So if his profits behind him, maybe that has affected his less than bullish or not ultra bullish outlook moving forward. Uh, what would be your response to that? And the second thing is um, basically does your macro view on what's happening in uranium, does it always have to lead to next gen is the best stock to buy? That's another criticism in a different form that I've seen. Yeah. Okay. On the first one is um, uh, my call on the rip your face off uranium rally. It wasn't exactly rip your face off uranium rally, but I think my recollection was it was it was pretty darn low in price, and it's gone up double or whatever. So it wasn't a rip your face off uranium rally. It was a uranium rally, reason a little lamer than a rip your face off one. So uh, yeah, you can you can nail me on that one. And uh, it was um, it was not as uh, exciting as I had hoped. And part of the reason I think is 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 because uh, of what my friend cautioned me of, and I disregarded the caution, of course, when he said Warren. There's a billion pounds of uranium out there. There's no shortage of uranium. They'll always make up that 50 million pounds shortfall. Don't you worry about that. And then he proceeded to tell me about, uh, you know, uh, Warren, hey, do you want to help finance uh, finance me uh, buying 30 million pounds of uranium? I know of one seller who's got it sitting out in the desert in a, in a shed. And so, you know, if there are these little pockets of uranium all around the world and that are just gradually, you know, hitting hitting the market over time, right? So yeah, he was right with that one. He was a very, very sharp guy. And uh, so here we are today. We've got, um, like I said, we've got, we still have the shortfall. And a lot of people are getting excited about uranium. But, you know, the demand side, frankly, it just cannot, the demand side cannot hit super duper hard. Uh, because it just takes so long to to build these reactors, and um, you know, then people will say the overfeeding will will solve some of that. And, but you know, then you have then then you know on the other side too, you're going to well, well look at look at the uh, production numbers. Next gen's expecting well, next gen's going to be cranking out 30 million pounds a year, man. That's a lot of uranium. Well, you'd better hope that uh, that Cigar Lake, uh, Chemical Cigar Lake, or MacArthur River start tailing off their production profile by the end of the decade when when next gen gets into production. So there's a lot of a lot of moving parts. So um yeah, I'm I'm maybe uh, I'm definitely not quite as bullish as it was before, but hey, that doesn't stop this market from being manipulated and just rocketing and uh, but that's the important thing to remember is on a fundamental basis it's um uh the fundamentals are pretty good for uranium and good long term, I think. But uh, but it does lead itself to uh manipulation over the short term if enough people jump on it and flavor the day we saw that exact same thing happen remember cobalt was the uh, flavor of the day and they, they tripled the price of cobalt and it was a flavor of the day for like six months <laughs> yeah. or something well, that, like that that's exactly right and if you had me on your show and you said warren what about cobalt what do you think of cobalt and i would have said uh long term i think cobalt is not the place to be and the reason is the majority of cobalt is being sourced from the congo in a lot of instances, the byproduct of uh, of the, the other mining activities there, um, namely copper. Uh, and will the world base its entire electrification on one country, which is 
you know, it's kind of on the edge there, right? You know, like uh, Congo, I've been there and <laughs> it's, uh, I know a lot of people there. So Congo is a pretty sketchy country. Uh, and uh, will the world rely on Congo for the electrification? And, and I go, absolutely not. And any bull, any bull cobalt guy who was coming to me and getting all excited about cobalt was going, okay, okay, I know you're excited. Bunch of hedge funds in the U.S. did the exact same they did thing they did with uranium, like the last cycle. They all jumped into one commodity and said, hey, kids, look at, look at, we just ran the price up triple. Well, the, then in the case of cobalt, they don't think anybody jumped onto that bandwagon to continue the continue the the hype and i'm not sure to what extent those hedge funds managed to get off their position um but as i said to any cobalt bull i said okay if you don't think every single engineer in the entire world is trying to engineer cobalt out of the next generation batteries you'd be mistaken right so long term it's ridiculous and people out looking for cobalt they come to me for money all the time i go i'm not going to give you money i said by the time you guys find cobalt, get it permitted and build it, build a cobalt mine, they get your original capital back. You, cobalt will be engineered out of batteries. So they'll be using something way, way cheaper. And so, and again, you know, my friends, I, I didn't, it happens again and again, <laughs> these markets. I remember um, people coming to me about weed stocks, right? And I, 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 I did not participate in any weed stocks really people hey warren you know the legalized weed in canada let's jump on the board they're going to make tons of money and all these growers are and i said no no i said listen I, I come from a farming family and there's there's no money in farming <laughs> there's no there's going to be no money in farming uh weed either and sure enough that you know that didn't stop them from speculating they ramped up the the weed companies like crazy and people made tons and tons of money i know guys who made hundreds of millions of dollars in the weed stocks but then it all comes crashing down when people figured out in the end Nobody makes money from farming. <laughs> so, and same so with cobalt, I didn't participate in that ridiculous rally because I knew in the end where it was going to end up. I didn't participate in his ridiculousness with weed because uh, I knew where it was going to end up and end up exactly where I expected it to be. Although I did not participate in some of the hugely profitable opportunities here. And in uranium, if I was to make a prediction, the... You know, we'll find enough uranium to, sat to satisfy the demand. It'll just take some time. But uranium, the market is at risk of having uh, of having a spike, um, short term spike that'll uh, that people will be trading off of for sure, for sure. And so, uh, you're cautioning people be ready to jump the ship when you see the spike. Would that be one of the yeah. takeaways for the average investor? Well, for the average investor, there's one lesson I've learned, which is whenever you think you're smart and uh, you think, boy, this is great, money's making money's easy. Then you sell, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so that's probably not a bad time to sell. So how I'm playing is going, you know, I'm I'm agnostic here. Let's see, if, you know, I, I wish Sprott and the, and the crowd, the, the uranium bull crowd, all the best. I wish them all the best to ramp up the price of uranium and get the hype going and get the have a repeat of the last cycle. I wish them all well, because what I'll be doing, I'll be selling my next gen into that rally, and I'll be sending all my other junky uranium stocks into that rally. Meanwhile... If it doesn't happen, I own some next gen, and it's going to just gradually tick tick higher over the next few years as they go into production. And um, so that's sort of the way I'm playing it. Uh, you, you know, your listeners may want to play it more aggressively than that. I don't think you play it much more conservatively than the way I'm playing it. But uh, I just want to share share some of those stories with your with your listeners to to so when they hear this hype, just you know, take it with a with a grain of salt, and just you know, you, you hope these guys. It's always fun to have a market just ramp and um, 
it's always fun to have some excitement in a market. And I hope these guys are able to create it. But um, as soon as they create, I'll tell you, I bet I'll be, I'll be looking for the exit because uh, long-term, the reality is uh, growth and demand will be gradual over time. There's going to be lots and lots of uranium out there, especially if they took, they took uranium to a hundred bucks. Like we're, it doesn't need to be the 150 you're talking about. You take a uranium to a hundred bucks. Do you know how many uranium mines will be economic at those levels? There'll be lots. And do you know how much uranium sitting in stockpiles and some, some warehouse in the middle of the, the African desert uh, will be hitting the market at a hundred dollar uranium. It, you know, it'll be coming back at us, right? It's no different than when they took gold to 800 in the early eighties. Like people were, were, were pulling, <laughs> pulling gold out of their teeth and shipping it. And like we were finding gold pretty much everywhere and they were melting it down and shipping it into the market uh, like crazy. So, um, but you know, there are a lot of mines that will be economic at, you know, 7,500, hundred dollar uranium that will that will come into production to satisfy long-term needs so if um you know if i was speaking with a you know any government official or any any guy can any uh, group running reactors i'd say you know we might get a we might get a short-term pop here on speculative frenzy with a bunch of hedge funds thinking they can make a bunch of money in the uranium space but long term don't worry we'll find all the uranium you need because there's lots of uranium out there and we'll just um and as as nuclear energy becomes more um, more acceptable, I think mining uranium will become more successful, uh, acceptable. Also, you're seeing right now like there's limitations in Brazil, for instance. I could think of uh, you, you saw what happened with Berkeley in Spain, where that you know they were they were telling me, oh, Warren, you got to put money into a company. I said, well, we got a great project that looks excellent, but I really just don't see yourselves getting permitted. I don't care what you tell me, and. Um, Sure enough, that's exactly what happened, right? So, um, but but overall, we'll have we'll we as a mining industry are industrious, and trust me, we will find all the uranium the nuclear reactors of the future will need, and we'll find that in a host of different ways, in host of different places, in different countries, and we will satisfy that demand. Meanwhile, there are some people here trying to get a, a uranium market going, uh, and it'll be a, a, it'll be a short term thing, and uh, It'll probably, you know, if they get it going really well, it'll overshoot quite a bit. So, uh, well, Warren, could, I, I can tell you that there's probably going to be some fireworks in the YouTube comments <laughs> when I publish this, as well as on yeah. Uranium Twitter. I think you'll uh, have more than a little discussion about your, your take here. Sure. Well, remember, remember, guys, I am a, I'm a long-term supporter of uranium. I'm a, I'm an owner of uranium stocks and, uh, I'm a proponent of nuclear energy. I'm all fully supportive. And uh, but I'm just sharing you some of the some of my observations here, and if you share, if you decide not to believe them, don't believe them. That's fine, and uh, go and rock and roll in the uranium market. And uh, I just thought I'd share with you some of the things I've come across in my travels, and uh, some things, some numbers that uh, you know um, <clears throat> that I that I've that I use in my in my analysis. And again, uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to rain on the parade of these uh, these uranium bulls, and I hope they're right because I'll make a lot of money. Trust me on this one, Bill. I will make a lot of money. I just hope they're able to, I'm not say sucker enough big hedge funds in the U.S. to to jump on the bandwagon and ramp this because it'll be tons of fun, tons of tons of interesting things, and and I don't need people to come up to me and say in two years time, oh Warren, you missed the rally in uranium. You're you're a, you're a bear. I said I'm not a bear. I just I'm hopeful. <laughs> 
I'm hopeful these guys can do it, but I do know the fun, the underlying fundamentals. Uh, also, I just take a little different view of them than some of these guys. And uh, I, I see uranium projects all the time. There's lots of uranium out there and uh, in time they could all be put into production. But, but in the short term, when you get some speculative money hitting the spot, uh, the spot market, like they can do with the spot uranium trust. Um, and perhaps, you know, we might get a bit of a break from the, 50 million pounds a year being flooded into the spot market by the secondary sources, uh, you could get a good run here. And I'm selling into that run. That, I, could, I could tell you that for sure. I'll be selling into it because long-term, I'm a believer that there's uh, plenty of uranium out there and uh, probably at about, let's say 75 bucks, you could make, uh, you could get a lot of, a lot of production at 75 bucks. And, uh, you know, you look at, I haven't looked at next gen's costs, but next gen's costs are next to nothing, and Kazataprom's uh, costs are next to nothing, right? So they're, the margins they'll be making will be insane. And um, another little interesting point too, uh, where people who are all freaked out about uranium supply. I remember speaking with the head of Kazataprom at a conference, and um, I can't remember the exact numbers, but he said, "Oh, Warren, you give me a hundred million bucks, we'll crank up production by you know." however many millions of pounds like they're they're ready to rock and roll um they're um <clears throat> they're ready to crank up production if if need be so they're ready to crank up production you got 30 million pounds of next gen coming up on stream here and um and you know so there's there's a there's supply in time that's going to be hitting this market so uh this uh if we do get a, a little bit carried away here with a speculative frenzy not unlike the cobalt market not unlike some of the others t t take uh, take my lead and just be right behind me and selling into this thing and uh, we'll make a bit of money. And um, if it doesn't happen, I think I'll still make some money with NextGen on uh, a more conservative fashion as you just gradually move towards production. Okay, well, Warren, really appreciate you sharing these more of outlier amongst the Uranium Bulls perspective, but uh, thank you for coming on the show today. All right, Bill, I'll just don't burn me too bad. Okay. <laughs> It'll be the comments. It won't be me. <laughs> well, I just hope it's really, you know, it's always it's always good to hear guys like myself, I think, for just, you know, just uh, just uh I'm not saying it's a contrary position. I'm on the same team, guys. I'm I'm rooting for a, a rip your face off uranium rally. I'm just trying to throw some other uh, other points of view in there. And um I'm with you if there is a great uranium rally, and I think they have a shot at pulling this thing off, and I wish them wish everybody well because I'll benefit too. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. 
I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.